0: This episode of Field to Fork was produced as part of the Seattle Good Business Network's Good Food Economy program and supported by Eat Local First, home of the Washington Food and Farm Finder, Washington's source for local food. Find local farms, seafood, and more at eatlocalfirst.org. This is the Field to Fork podcast, where we take you on a deep dive into the local food economy of the Puget Sound region, from farming operations to fine dining and everywhere in between, going to the source to find out how food comes to be and gets to you, direct from the people making it happen. I'm your host, Keith Bacon, and with me is my new co-host, Becky Selengud. Hi, Becky. Hey, Keith. We had a fun little lunch date in Pioneer Square recently at the All All Cafe, And it is housed at the Chief Seattle Club, which provides services to our local urban native community, which is something that I learned about at Good Food Connections. Were you aware of it before? I was not aware of it at at all, actually. So
1: I was really happy that we both learned of it together and then we got to go experience it together.
0: Yeah, yeah. It was really a fun, bustling cafe with a lot of people in there eating and Working and laughing and joking around—it's a really great vibe and really great food that has been mostly sourced from indigenous businesses all around the country.
1: We had the wild rice coffee cake, which Mm -hmm. was awesome, and we had several different kinds of tea, like a fruit and fused tea and a cedar tea, which was great. And we had uh, we had the blue corn mush, which that's right, with granola and like a. Huckleberry sauce, I think, was on Mm -hmm. there.
0: It was so Mm -hmm. good. Yeah. And the All All Cafe is a place for everyone to come and try these dishes and drinks that are made with ingredients sourced from native and tribal businesses. And so, of course, we needed to know more. So we had a chat recently with Anthony Johnson, the manager of the All All Cafe, to learn more about how it all got started and where it's going. Let's have a listen. Anthony, why don't you start just by introducing yourself? Definitely. Yeah, so I'll introduce myself in
2: Anishinaabe and then I'll introduce myself in English. So, Bujuginois, Jawano Banais, Indigo Anishinaabe Mong, Mikanak Indo Dem, is a guy getting to be in the KB, I Nungum. Hello, everyone. My name is Anthony Johnson. I am an enrolled citizen in Red Lake Nation, part of the Turtle Clan, and I grew up in Minneapolis and currently reside here in Seattle, Washington. I'm currently the cafe manager at Chief Seattle Club's All All Cafe. However, this will be my last month at the club and leaving on June 30th to uh, pursue other, other
0: opportunities. Cool. Thanks for being with us today. How did the All All Cafe come to be? Tell us a little bit about your involvement with it.
2: Yeah, I joined Chief Seattle Club in. August of 2021, and at that time, the cafe was just a, really just a concept. Chief Seattle Club had begun the construction of the all-all residence, which is where the cafe resides on the ground floor, and that structure is 65 units of permanent supportive housing, and it was Mm -hmm. the first permanent supportive housing that Chief Seattle Club was actually able to build and own and operate on its own. And so the cafe was really dreamt up by Colleen Echohawk, who was the previous CEO of Chief Seattle Club and has since gone on to run for mayor and work at 8th Gen as the CEO there, really iconic person in Indian country here in Seattle. And so it was really part of her dream to have permanent supportive housing and on the ground floor that permanent supportive housing, have a indigenous foods cafe that is open to the public. And could showcase indigenous foods as well as tell the story and share about the great work that the club is doing. When I got involved in August of 21, it was just a shell. There was no, no drywall, no furniture, no nothing. So I guess I was the implementer in that aspect of the cafe where, you know, Colleen had the vision and had a rough idea of what things should look like, but it was really up to me to implement that vision and make it a reality.
0: How did you first find out about it? How did you make that connection with Colleen?
2: Yeah, it's a funny story like the world I don't know, works in mysterious ways. I was back home in Minneapolis and my partner and I were planning a move out to Seattle. She got a job at the Seattle Indian Health Board in March of 2021. And we were planning the move for then May of that year. And me and my partner Shelby were out at Sugar bush, we call it, which is every spring. It's the Anishinaabe New Year, the Ojibwe New Year, where the trees, maple trees in particular, it's the time where sap's running. So those hard freezes overnight and then the warm, mild days in the 40s results in the trees running and having sap pour out of them. So that is a really, you know, important part of the year for the Anishinaabe people. And I guess kind of some symbolism in that. Aspect, but I was out at Sugarbush tapping trees and boiling sap and making sugar and candies and and syrup. And so tons of people come out there. And it was the closing ceremony. You know, we we're shutting the season down. The trees had stopped running. And I was just chatting with a guy in line, and his name is Brett Ramey, and he was like, "Yeah, I just moved out to Minneapolis from Seattle. I was doing work in indigenous foods out there. And at the time, I was working in corporate America. I'd studied finance." I was working in corporate consulting and was like really looking to pivot my career and get into indigenous foods. And this seems like crazy happenstance. And so yeah, Brett had mentioned some things about Chief Seattle Club and he was familiar with some of the folks there. But one of those things that you don't really put too much stock in and fast forward a couple weeks, I'd reached out to one of the folks at Chief Seattle Club to try to learn more about the. Work that they were doing because I'd seen some promotional videos about a farm and maybe a cafe that they're running, and just wanted to let them know that I was moving to the city and wanted to see if there's any job postings. And that's when I got in contact with my former boss, Lacey Warrior, who was running the Native Works program. And she was able to give me some more information and then also say that, oh, yeah, you know, we have this cafe that we're looking to hire for, but we're not doing it now. When the job posting's ready, I'll send it over, and everybody knows knows how that goes. People never usually really send it over, but she did, and I applied, went through the interview process, and was offered the role. And I felt really lucky about how I got into the club, you know. And they really took a gamble, I think, as well, because there I'm sure there were plenty of people that applied that had food service experience, but I'd never worked in kitchens. I'd never. Worked in restaurants. I'd never worked in food service. You know, I was just oh wow, just a guy that had this passion to do it and had some real world experience with corporate and budgeting and finance related projects. So I was really looking to mesh those two interests: of indigenous foods and the business aspect of things.
0: And I think it, it was a great fit. Yeah, what a great yeah. story!
1: I love it. And I love the name of Sugarbush and the whole tree thing. <laughs> <laughs> I really want to try the syrup now. Awesome.
2: yeah you can't beat it a lot of restaurants serve like maple syrup which is just like high fructose corn syrup but yeah you can't beat the real stuff that's boiled over wood fire it's about like a 50 to one ratio so 50 gallons of sap boils down to one gallon of syrup it's a time intensive process we have the fire going for weeks literally weeks of the wow. fire going yeah
1: yeah i can imagine the smell of smoke and maple in your hair
2: oh yeah you can't beat it Yeah, you don't even want to take a shower. You just smell so good. (laughs) Love
0: it. So you stepped into this role without having food industry experience. How did you create and develop the menu at the Alal Cafe to showcase indigenous foods?
2: Yeah, I really owe a lot of gratitude to the previous kitchen manager at the club. Her name is Fran Tyler. She's Macaw and she ran the Chief Seattle Club Kitchen. So that's in the building directly next to the cafe. In effect, it's a soup kitchen. I think it's a lot more, but that gives people an idea of what it is. It's open every day of the year, except for Indigenous People's Day, and they serve two hot meals, completely zero, zero cost to anyone in the community. Mm -hmm. It's given the fact that the cafe was still in the early stages and still getting built out, and I hadn't quite started running the construction project yet. I was working with Fran in the kitchen and applying some of those home cook skills that I had and broadening those skills to the commercial kitchen. So I learned a lot from Fran, which is really amazing that she was able to take me under her wing. And then in terms of developing the menu for the cafe, we, so we don't have a kitchen per se in the cafe, you've been in the space, it's tiny. So everything that we serve in the cafe, we use that commissary kitchen that, that the day center team uses, we're in there after hours and so. Everything that's served in the cafe needs to be re-thermalized. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of like the filter in which the food that's served in the cafe needs to be created by, you know, what's going to be good. What's going to be tasty and still maintain its quality when it's held at a hot temperature and re-thermalized. So it takes a lot off the options when you don't have a full kitchen. We're not, not able to sear up a steak or do your seared salmon. So. A lot of those menu items are taken off the list. Then we're able to just go from there and create foods that I enjoy and I think are tasty. So that's really the filter that I use. And then it's really about highlighting native businesses to you. So focusing Mm. on products that we can get from native businesses across the country and then finding ways to incorporate those into the menu. But it really is as simple as that. It's just looking at what's available and trying to go from there. you really can't have a native cafe if you're not buying from native businesses, I believe.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was reading about that on the cafe website that you're sourcing from native and tribally owned businesses around the North American continent from the Red Lake Nation wild rice in the Northeast and the Navajo Nation blue corn in the Southwest and seafood from the Quinault Nation here in the Northwest Northwest. Was that difficult to set up and make those connections to do this uh, indigenous sourcing?
2: Yeah, some of them were pre-existing connections that Chief Seattle Club had through the commissary kitchen. The, The commissary kitchen also tries to showcase native ingredients and serve those to the community members. But a lot of them were new connections that I had to make. So that's just involved sending out cold emails and reaching out to folks and letting them know what we're trying to do. We're a native nonprofit. We're opening an indigenous foods cafe and we want to showcase native and tribal businesses. Do you have capacity to sell product? And it's challenging working with small businesses and working with tribal entities for a lot of different reasons. But I think it's also more rewarding and necessary to do. I think that A lot of the challenges have been really just dealing with the sourcing and the storage. It's really easy to get a whole bunch of product in, but when you're short on storage and you really need to have a pretty thin inventory, it can be a big ask to reach out to small businesses on a more frequent basis to have them pack and ship orders. And sometimes like things just go wrong just because we're humans and People running small businesses are humans too. It's not some giant corporate entity that is going to be right on schedule and all the T's are going to be crossed and all the I's are going to be dotted. There's human things that happen, but that's part of the fun of it, I think. Yeah, I think it's really just having a bit of a determination to no matter what, go to those ethics and go to those values of this is what I want to do. I want to source from native businesses and I don't care if something's late or something they're out of supply they don't have a certain product just sticking to that mission and sticking to those values is really what i've tried to adhere to um, because that's part of the goal and it's part of the mission of the cafe and it just comes with the territory
0: that's really cool that uh, that level of support all all around the chain the process of doing what you're doing and becky what does that say to you when you hear that story
1: Anthony, as a chef, my mind just went to like a hundred different things like A, your generosity and the the passion for the purpose of the cafe really changes everything. Because when the purpose of a restaurant is to make the customer happy, no matter what, it's a completely different set of priorities you have to have. So I at the same time, I was just curious. Okay, so say your blue corn is not available. You use that a lot on your menu. Are you like running around trying to find like another indigenous source, or do you just change the menu?
2: Well, with blue corn in particular, we're lucky because there are quite a few sources for blue corn, and we've had to work through a list of vendors for that item in particular. It's been so rewarding to build those connections and hear about all the awesome things that each supplier and each tribal nation is doing with their food programs. Because at the end of the day, it's like we're sourcing from them so that we can redistribute the wealth in the Seattle urban city, urban area, back to the tribal nations that are on the ground trying to revitalize their indigenous foods so that their people can have access to those foods. That's really what the mission is. And that's the underlying foundation of what we're doing is we're putting money back into those tribal communities so that the Cheyenne River Sioux have bison and have tons of resources available to process that meat and get it out to their people. That's what exactly the tie is between us buying bison from them and how that benefits their community.
0: Is the work that you're doing here in Seattle with Alal al Cafe, do you know if that has inspired other tribal nations to do something similar?
2: So my sister works at our tribal immersion school. She's trying to recruit me to work for the school because they really want to serve indigenous foods to the students there. And then I think there's also talks of Red Lake opening a cafe or trying to open a cafe. There has been like a pretty big foundation laid already in indigenous foods by people like the Sioux Chef, Sean Sherman, Nephi Craig, White Mountain Apache, Crystal Wapato. I'm kind of a newcomer to the indigenous food scene. So I'm sure that a lot of those tribal nations that are trying to create indigenous food restaurants, cafes, et cetera. I'm sure that they're influenced by those pioneers like Sean and Nephi.
1: I have to take a moment to say like the sous chef must have just been like celebrating when they figured that out. That is the best name ever. No, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, that is so yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah, I love what they do and everything. It's really cool. And just a real, just a, a simple aside here. When we went into the cafe, it was so special. I think For me and for anyone who walks in that cafe, to see all the products that you had lined up on that wall, to see the diversity of indigenous foods. But more so than that even was the vibe that I got when I walked into that cafe. It was different. It felt different. The temperature was different. Everything about it was different when we went in. And I don't know how to put my finger on it, but it was great seeing so many indigenous folks in the cafe itself, but also diversity of other folks. And it just had this family home feeling to it, which built right into the name, which I'm sure Keith is going to talk about in a second. But I just want to give you a lot of props for creating that kind of environment that you did and having it be a kind of a face for a a lot of the activism that, that you guys want to do. And it's awesome. It's important work.
2: Thank you for saying that. No, I really appreciate that. That's really the goal. The goal is to create a space that everyone feels welcome in, but especially Native folks feel like they have that representation and they can maybe see some foods from their community on that shelf. We call it the Indigi Market,
0: Indigenous Market. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> <laughs> I know another one of the missions of the cafe is to decolonize the food industry. Can you talk about what that means exactly and what's involved in that process and what the response has been to that sort of mission?
2: Yeah, I think that decolonization of the food industry, really what it comes down to is showing every person that steps in that cafe and the broader Seattle community that foods to your native people are not just nourishment or a good time. Like the foods to your indigenous people are directly tied to who we are. And it's not, it's not hyperbole to say that without them, like we're really nothing, And Anishinaabe people in particular. Our creation story is directly tied to manoomin, which is wild rice. Mm. We used to live out on the east coast and there was these seven prophecies that there's, it's a really, it's a long story. It's in the Mishomis book by Eddie Benton, Badai. but essentially what the story boils down to is the prophets told the Anishinabe people that they need to migrate west until they found the place where food grows on the water. And so that's what our people did. They migrated from the East Coast until they found a place which was in the Grey Lakes and up into Ontario and into Canada, the area where wild rice grows. And wild rice is not technically a rice, it's a grain, but it grows in these large shoots over these old kind of uh, estuaries, I guess, these old Removed areas of of waterways, and through that migration westward, that's where the Anishinaabe people, which are the Three Fires—the Ojibwe, the Odawa, and the Potawatomi—that's where we began to really find our ancestral location and the place that we needed to be as people. And so, every year in around like August, the rice is ready to harvest, and so you go out in canoes and. You have one person pushing the canoe, and you have another person with these two knockers knocking the rice into the canoe. And there's stories and gatherings, and there's certain gender or sex specific rules for who's allowed to do what. And it's a really it's an important part in the history of who we are as people is having that rice and having access to that food source. And so to take someone and to strip them of their food, which is what the U S government tried to do was, is really a way to try to strip them of their identity and of their culture and of their language. And it's a tough story to tell when someone comes in, wants a cup of coffee and a scone, and then gets out of there three or 400 years of history is tough to communicate in that right. short period of time. Yeah. But really what my hope is that when we're serving these foods, if it's, Maybe one in a hundred people, maybe one in 500 people start to dig into this history and start to realize, oh, wow, this is interesting. Like indigenous people are directly, they have this, such an intimate tie to their food that goes beyond hanging out at the dinner table. And oh my goodness, look at what we're doing to their foodways. In Minnesota, we have line three. We have all these pipelines that are cutting through our wild rice beds and that are going to inevitably leak oil, crude oil, that's going to poison the food source and poison that access to that just incredibly important food for Anishinaabe people. That's happening right now. And that story can be told for any indigenous person in their ties to their food. Look at the salmon in the Northwest look at what the Army Corps of Engineers did to these rivers, the Duwamish. They turned 30 miles of riverway into three by just plowing through and destroying all these estuaries that the salmon no longer have the ability to spawn. So yeah, that's really what the goal of trying to decolonize the food industry is to show people, give them a taste of these foods, give a showcase to these native businesses and try to tell And show people really the true importance of these foods to our people. And why they matter. And they matter because they're being threatened. And most of the time it's from corporate greed.
1: You're such a good speaker. And we were really moved by what you said when we met you at the conference. What are you going on to next?
2: I don't have anything picked out just yet. I'm going to take some time off and do some traveling. So I'm going to go to Alaska for... A couple of weeks and my partner is going to be working over there for the month of July. She's going to be on Kodiak Island. So I'm going to go and just have fun. Kodiak in July sounds pretty awesome. It's going to be able to spend a couple of weeks there and then there's going to be canoe journey, so I'm not going to paddle or anything, but I've never checked that out. So that's the first week in August. I've reached out to quite a few folks, just sending around resumes to letting people know that I'm looking for something else, but. Yeah, I don't quite know what's next, but I do know that I feel good about where things have gone with the cafe and I feel, yeah, I feel like I won. I built it and I ran it
0: and I'm ready for the next adventure.
1: Are you going to move or are you going to stay in Seattle?
2: I'm going to stay in Seattle.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Backing up just a minute, there are a couple of cafe menu items that I was hoping that we could talk about from when Becky and I visited there most recently. and. The bison barbacoa taco is one of the things that we sampled that I'm still thinking about. What are some of the most popular dishes that you've served up at the cafe over the years?
2: Yeah, people love the bison barbacoa taco, definitely. And yeah, that's been fun to see the reception on that. I'm really proud of that one. And people also really liked, we did a little mini indigi pie or tart almost. So they were... Mm-hmm probably no larger than two and a half inches, three inches in diameter. And they had this really awesome filling, which had huckleberry and raspberry and blackberry. And the pie dough was dairy-free. And yeah, that one in particular was probably my most favorite item that we put out there from the sweet section. And the, the rabbit stew was really fun as well. We also did a... Three Sisters Grain Bowl. So that was like a Three Sisters Corn, Beans, and Squash over a bed of wild rice with some like minced up greens and then a berry vinaigrette. That was a joy to put out there as well.
0: How about the wild rice coffee cake? Is that something with your background that you were involved in developing for the cafe or?
2: Yeah, yeah. That one was definitely a fan favorite as well. So we do a 50 50 blend of like wild rice and then whole wheat flour because you really do need the gluten from the flour to make it like a batter, but cutting that in half with wild rice, like adds more protein and adds like more of a complex carb to the cake batter as well as the topping. And then we use maple syrup as well to sweeten it. So it's got really kind of a good representation from the Northwoods, wild rice and maple syrup. And I think it's a good example to you of how to make something that, has indigenous ingredients and is really yummy, but is also like familiar to people. And it's just a good blend between like colonial ingredients. It has sugar, it has butter and it has flour, which are like the three sins of colonialism. But it, it also has a lot of those indigenous ingredients that I think do really well and complement each other. And yeah, I mean, we don't, don't have to be like idealistically pure it's okay to have colonial ingredients just as long as you're doing it in a conscious way and they really need to be there. I forgot to mention, we also cut back on the butter by using coconut oil as well. So yeah, just a good way to cut back on some of those colonial ingredients and move the needle towards indigenous
1: Well, so often we see uh, different marginalized communities' food appropriated by mostly white people. And it's nice to see that you're like taking the coffee cake and you're like, we're going to make this just a little bit better.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's been fun. It feels good to have dishes and have foods that are familiar to folks and that still taste good. But you're biting into the coffee cake and, oh, wow, this has chunks of wild rice in it. This is cool. This is different. And that's, yeah, that's how I approached most of the items on the menu.
0: I feel like maybe that coffee cake really encapsulates in a, in many ways, what is happening with the cafe, which mm-hmm. includes the name. Can you talk about what all Al cafe means?
2: Yeah. So all Al is the seed word for home. Lashutzeed is the language of the Puget sound and is really, I think in a lot of ways, the perfect name for the structure, the building, all residents is The first permanent supportive housing that Chief Seattle Club had, and then the first one that they built from literally the ground up in downtown Pioneer Square. I think it makes sense and it works because, Becky, you talked about that a little bit, but we do want to make the space feel like home to people. We do want to make the space feel welcoming. And it's also just a great way to try to decolonize some of the language that's used as well. I think in a lot of other countries, I'm thinking of New Zealand in particular, the Maori people have all of the government buildings named primarily in their language, in Te Reo Maori, And then the subtext is the English translation of that building. And the United States is, I don't know, decades, centuries behind them in terms of like renaming places, mountains, lakes, bodies of water, all these different areas were behind them and renaming them what the indigenous people call them. Not called call, and so I think that that's just like a small step in trying to change people's attitudes about that, and trying to change people's concept of what places are called. If we call all a cafe, it's going to instantly open up a question from folks of what does that mean, and then we get to walk through that that same conversation. It's the language of the Puget Sound was revitalized and primarily by Vi Hilbert and. We can just go from there about telling people about the importance of language and the importance of visibility of indigenous languages.
1: As someone who grew up uh, in New Jersey on Lake Hopatcong, which is from the Ojibwe language, it it does really open up a conversation about who lived there and who's still living there and what what mm-hmm. is going on. And so many people I grew up with, and I didn't myself know because, you know, Descendant from white colon, not white colonizers, Jewish, you know, immigrants. But anyway, still, it's um, it opens up a conversation. So like, Hopakon means stone over water, and it's like it really means something, and it changes things for people when you actually name things the way that they were named. And I, I, I love that you named it All Cafe, and I love that the letters are such that it makes people ask questions about it and starts conversations.
2: Like, yeah, thank you. That's that's the hope. Yeah, I think we've seen a lot of people that uh, come in and are curious, you know, and they want to learn more. And it's a great way to do it.
0: Yeah, I personally am here for Mount Tahoma. I yeah, like- absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Anthony, we do this thing called Hot Takes where we throw out two options for you and you just pick one. You just pick this is the one that I want or is my favorite. Um, uh-huh. Maybe we talk about them a little bit. I love it.
1: Don't overthink it. But if you can't decide, people have often said both, but try and pick one if you can. Okay. And it's nice to hear why it stumped you or didn't stump you. But anyway, so it's, a, it. it's pretty simple. So for you in particular, I'd love to know, okay, sockeye salmon or king salmon?
2: Mm, I think I have to go sockeye. Tell me why. I don't know. Sockeye just look so cool. They just look so freaking cool. And I, th- I don't know if I could actually, in a blind taste test, I would hope that I could... Maybe yeah, parse yeah. the two. Of
1: them. <laughs> yeah, it's so um, so salmony and so rich. And yeah, just, like, that's what know, it is. Yeah, curious. it's leaner too, and king salmon is just. I don't know. Sometimes I think of king salmon as the ribeye of salmon. It's just
2: it's right like fatty right. and
1: rich, but like mm. sakai is like, it's like grass-fed beef of salmon. It's so much yeah, so much flavor forward yeah. and more dense in texture. I love sake. Okay, how about, uh, this is an easy one for you, uh, blue, white, or yellow corn? Oh, blue corn. Blue corn all the way. Knew that was going to yeah, be easy. Yeah, blue corn all the way. We lull you in with the easy ones, and then we get you yeah. th- some harder
0: ones. <laughs> going back to seafood, uh, oysters or clams?
2: I think oysters, yeah, depends how they're prepared. But like, if clams are like steamed or something, like steamed clams versus raw oysters, I love raw mm. food. So <laughs> yeah, raw oysters are the best.
1: How about wild? Blackberry, huckleberry, or salalberry?
2: Huckleberry. Yeah, I love yeah. huckleberry because they, yeah, I don't know. I grew up on blueberries and there's something about huckleberries. They're just explosive. Love them. I have a good little huckleberry spot that I've gone to with some elders and man, it's they're so good. It's so hard to pick them because you just want to keep eating them.
0: Yeah. And then your, your bucket ends up nothing in there, but. but. That's so. me. And it's, they're also more fun to say, huckleberry. <laughs>
1: Mm-hmm. How about um, wild sticky nettle or morel mushroom?
0: Okay, that's tough. I probably would have
2: to go. I'd probably have to go with morels. Yeah, I got both this year. I harvested nettle and was up at the Bolt Creek fire and got some morels. And there's something about frying up morels the same day that you pick them. Um, just that meaty flavor and texture of mushrooms. When they're like fried hot and fast, and then just eating those like plain. Plants just can't do that. Uh nettle's great. I love nettle, but there's something about like that meaty, mushroomy, umami flavor that yeah, is gonna win out for
0: sure. House music or classic rock?
2: Oh, classic rock. I love oh. classic rock, yeah. <laughs> That's all we play in the kitchen. If I'm on Spotify, if I'm on the if I'm on the Bluetooth speaker, it's like just classic rock.
0: <laughs> okay, so now we know what sets the mood at the cafe. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> ocean or lake?
1: He's going to go lake.
0: Yeah, I got to go, so <laughs> yeah, <gotta> go lake. Yeah, I got to go lake.
1: You got to go lake. He's going to be our first. I got to go lake. Everyone yeah. is going ocean, but I knew you were going to go lake.
2: Yeah, I yeah I have to. I mean, the ocean's great, you know? I, mean, I think I probably like ocean food better, mm-hmm. but um, there's something about just soaking in a lake. And if you're at a gray lake, I mean, you're pretty much at the ocean. You can't see across the horizon and you had a beautiful sandy beach on Lake Michigan or, you know, on Madeline Island and Lake Superior. I mean, yeah, that's, you can't beat the lakes.
1: Rabbit or bison?
2: Oh, bison. Yeah. It was, every that, time. Was easy. yeah. that was so easy.
1: <laughs> I was like, oh, when, when I want to say bison. What's What can you even compete with bison? Elk. Oh, elk. Yeah. I, I love elk.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I love elk too. I think, I think I'd probably go elk too between elk or bison. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Awesome. (laughs) Cider or beer? I don't drink. There you go.
1: (laughs) Kombucha or herbal tea?
2: I really like kombucha. I mean, I try not to eat like a whole lot of added sugar, but kombucha usually has like low levels of added sugar. So I like that as well as the fizz. It's like, yeah. I got to go kombucha. Even though I do love like CRT and tea, all the herbal teas we serve, I have those pretty much daily, but kombucha is awesome. It is a treat.
1: As a complete ridiculous aside, I got carded. I got my ID checked for buying kombucha last year. Wow. What That's. I know. It didn't even make any sense. I think the person was super confused, but there's a very low level of alcohol in it, but like... <laughs> It's like you're kidding Yeah, it's you're, like
2: you? less than half a percent. I it? know.
1: It was awesome. it was hilarious. I was like, A, That's I weird. I look yeah. like your mother. And B, this is not alcoholic. Uh,
0: all right, two more. <laughs> this one's uh, okay. the seasonal favorite winter, spring, summer, or fall.
2: Fall. Yeah, definitely fall. Fall's a lot of hunting seasons. That's the best time of year.
1: And mushrooms.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and the last one are treasured stumper, oil or vinegar?
2: That is a good one because they complement each other so well. I think that I think I have to go oil because I feel like if I were to choose between the two, I could technically live without vinegar, without an acid, but mm-hmm. I could never live without oil. I have, like a dry pan trying to cook anything would just be like tragic but you'd miss a whole flavor profile by not having the vinegar but yeah you simply just wouldn't be able to cook without having oil in the pan
0: here's to greasy pans
2: heck yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right thanks for playing along with us and thank you anthony so much for joining us today and sharing your story and the story of the Alo cafe you've done a really amazing thing here in in seattle and I'm super grateful that that you've created this opportunity for people to try indigenous foods and understand the indigenous food movement. And you've built something really special. And I, I hope it, it remains here as part of our community for a long time. Thanks for having me.
2: It's really been a joy being able to talk to you two today and to be offered a platform to be able to share my thoughts and my beliefs. So I really appreciate it. You guys come to the cafe and all the kind words that you've said.
1: Yeah, I, I really look forward to um, seeing what you're going to do next. And it's nice to hear you're still going to be Seattle. Hopefully we can keep in touch. And if you ever need a chef help with anything that you're doing, please let me I know. Love it.
0: I will for sure. Thank you. And enjoy your summer vacation.
2: I will. Oh, yeah. It's
0: going to be a good one. Wow. It was so great getting to know Anthony and learn the story of how Al, Al Cafe came to be. It's, it's such a cool spot. We're so lucky to have that here in Seattle. We're
1: really lucky to have it. And the fact that you love food and I work in food and the fact that we didn't know this existed. And I think that means that a lot of people in Seattle don't know that this place exists. So it, it was so great, not just for the vibe, but also what they sell there, the products from indigenous communities around the United States. Mm-hmm. And I took home some wild rice and some blue cornmeal. They had cookbooks, but as I said in the interview, that the feeling of home was palpable there, and it's such an important place for Indigenous communities and also for non-Indigenous communities to give back and to be educated. Yeah. So I, it was a, it was a win experience for me all Absolutely.
0: around. Absolutely, yeah. It's a way to learn and interact while enjoying something delicious to eat or drink.
1: Exactly. And learn new stuff. While we're on the subject of indigenous mm-hmm. foods, it's something I'm I've been educating myself a lot about. I really like to forage. And when when you get interested in foraging, you you inevitably learn a lot about Native American indigenous communities and their relationship to the woods and wild mm-hmm. foods. So that got me down a path to learning more about this amazing organization called the Native American Food Sovereignty Alliance. Mm-hmm. We can post a link on our socials for it, but I thought they're they're a great organization. I highly recommend learning more about them. And the the reason I love them is because they're all about education, seed saving. They mentor indigenous farmers Mm. and they have a program called Seed Rematriation, which shout out for not saying patriation. (laughs) I love that. And they they train Indigenous youth and elders alike in wild foods gathering and culinary training. So they're a great organization. I would love to support them and teach more people about supporting them.
0: Awesome. We will definitely put a link to them in our social media and in the show notes for this episode, where we always include links to the people that we're talking about. Thanks for sharing that. Also, I did want to mention that the All All Cafe is open Tuesday through Friday, 6.30 a.m. to 2.30 p.m., So definitely go down there and check it out if you haven't. There are some fascinating images on the cafe's website showing where it sits within the Seattle region in context of non-Indigenous settlement. It's really, Mm -hmm. I I don't know if you looked at that or not, but it's it's amazing to see where it's sitting and what that used to be Mm -hmm. pre-colonial, pre-white settlers. And it just adds another dimension of really connecting to the history of where we live and what it was like with the first people that lived here and their way of life and how just by visiting this cafe and having that perspective you are connecting with a really important part of our shared history yeah well said thanks that's it for this episode of field to fork if you like what you heard make sure you don't miss a moment hit that follow button on your podcast player app And while you're there, you could also leave us a great review. I know you've got it in you. And why stop there? Take a second to share our show with your friends and family. And if you have story ideas for Becky and I to explore together in future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a DM on Instagram and Facebook, where our handle on both platforms is at Feel2ForkPodcast. Might as well go ahead and follow our socials there too, right? Field to Fork is a made with bacon production, all rights reserved. Interviews have been edited for brevity and clarity. I'm Keith Bacon. Thanks for listening.